Born a few months before Jesus to a priest and his wife, John was sent into the world for one purpose. His voice would cry out in the wilderness and would prepare the way for the Lord himself to come to his people. As we continue our journey to Christmas, turn with our study leader, Dave Wurtson, to John chapter 1, verse 6, and let's discover what all of this has to do with Christmas. It's probably pretty unusual to sing, have yourself a merry little Christmas Sunday morning. But one of the things that Christmas means is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Usually we have a big division, the secular and the sacred. In fact, where I was raised, we used to have the secular part of the concert and the sacred part of the concert. As a little kid, I used to feel like the secular part, that was the good part. Then we got to the boring part. So that's not a good thing. One of the incredible things that our Savior did is he came as a carpenter. So as you're gathering together for your families, I pray that you'll sing, have yourself a merry little Christmas, change the words a little bit. It's not the fates. Through the years, we'll keep us together if the fates allow. That's the original words we said, if the Lord allows. And you can you can sing with your family, then I hope you'll just move right in to singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, which is kind of where we've been focused in this series on the Gospel of John. Let's read John chapter 1. This is the early hymn that the early church sang together. The Lord didn't give us the music because he wanted us to sing different tunes through the years. But this really is the words with John the Apostle adding a few differences in the words so that he could focus on his gospel. So let's look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him there was nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or the darkness is not going to be able to overwhelm it or to conquer it. Both of those ideas. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of the human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and it made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are some words that rang out. If you're from a Jewish background, these would be words that you would know really well. They were really strange words. They were from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. That passage begins in verse 1 with, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. If you've gone to the singing of the Messiah, this is usually where the, the choir begins. Comfort ye, the beautiful handles melody. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. That moves in in verse 3 to these strange words. A voice cries. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare a way of the Lord. 
make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. And it presents the idea that there's going to come a voice. And we've been studying in this introduction to the Gospel of John, this early Christmas carol, this idea of the word. And a voice is going to cry out. The idea of the word is the revelation of God. And the Old Testament meant a prophet was going to cry out. He's going to cry out. There's the idea that there's the wilderness, the desert of people's hearts. In the book of Isaiah, it's in the time when the northern kingdom has been taken into captivity and the southern kingdom is being threatened by Babylon. And then soon the Nebuchadnezzars are going to come down and take those people away. And the Israel in the Old Testament is going to go through the darkest, driest wilderness experience. Only a few are going to come back. And then there's going to be 400 silent years where there's no prophetic voice. And Jewish people for those 400 years went through incredible struggles, but there was this hope, there was this light, there's going to be a voice that cries out in the wilderness. Who was that voice? You see, we've been studying this hymn, and we started out that if you're going to understand the story that happened in Bethlehem, we've been working on this journey to Christmas, and we started out saying that unlike any other story we could ever hear, we need to go back before the beginning. We have to go back before creation. It's incredible. The word was present and divine. Everything that God the Father was, all the attributes, all the characteristics, the word was. And we've studied together how before the beginning, the word already was. Then we learned that the word is the source of all of creation. That everything that you see, all the universe came to be through this word. We learned an incredible thing that this word is the source of life. We wrestled the last time we were together with asking the question, where does life come from? If you're a biologist, what causes inanimate things to come alive? And this early hymn made this incredible promise, this incredible declaration that the word is the source of life. He's the source of your life. And then he's the source of light. He's the one that helps us as human beings not to be living in the dark. From the beginning of time, the eternal God of the universe has been speaking to the human race. He started talking to Adam and Eve. He talked to Noah. He talked to Abraham. And your whole Old Testament tells you that Jewish scriptures talk to you about a living God, the great I am, that's speaking. We learned that the Apostle John is telling us that the word was none other than that ultimate revealer. In our passage today, we went from eternity past... We went through creation. We're introduced to the idea of a voice crying in the wilderness. Now John is going to identify for us who in the world that voice was. Now, if you're an agnostic, you say, well, I'm not sure whether I can believe all this. I want you to know that it's absolutely just an objective case that those words, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's just an objective reality that those words were written at least 150 years before the prophet came and before Jesus came. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because you can go to Jerusalem, go to the shrine of the book, right in the central exhibit, you'll go down these stairs and there's a big circular thing and there's a big scroll. I gave it to you in your notes. You can take it home and you can show it to your friends. That's a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls and it's actually a picture, I believe, right to Isaiah 40. The Isaiah scroll found in 1947 in Qumran suddenly took our manuscript evidence back more than 1,100 years. The, up to that time, the earliest manuscript we had in Hebrew was the Ben Asher text from 900 A.D., 900 years after Christ. Qumran suddenly shipped everything back 150 years for sure. Carbon-14 dating. This scroll 
was written. And it's shown as it was already sacred scripture. It was copied, 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 copied. All the Jews recognized it. This scroll, it's 17 sheets of parchment. It is 54 columns. And I've given you an idea of those columns. Those columns are those little segments. They are 15 inches high. The whole scroll is 24 feet long. And we know for sure that it prophesied 125 years before Jesus came to earth that there would be a voice that cries out in the wilderness. Who is this voice? This is what you need to ask yourself is why do I believe in the Christmas story? Why do I believe that Jesus can really give me life? He not only gave life to the world, but do I believe this morning he can give me life? Do I believe he can turn on the lights? He can give me the answers in my own life for my family and with my friends. Now, what John does is something very important in this next verse. We have gone from before creation. We have gone to creation. Now he's going to remind us of a prophet that was to come. But now he's going to invade history. In the next verse, if you look at verse 6, suddenly we're not talking about eternity past. We're not talking about creation. Suddenly, we talk about history. We're talking about a date and time where the voice that cried in the wilderness prepared the way of the Lord. This idea that there would come a herald. There would come a prophetic voice that would prepare the Israelite people for none other than the coming of the Lord himself, which we've learned the word is. We're going to make an incredible transition in these next few lessons as we're not talking about some word that's out there in the heavenly sphere. We're not talking about a word that's speaking to people's hearts and appears sometimes in the Old Testament, like it's the angel of Yahweh. Now we're talking about in space, time, and history, there's a baby that's born. Luke's gospel actually begins the story of Christmas, not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of food. There's an old prophet, Zechariah. His wife, Elizabeth, they've been trying to have babies. It was before there were fertility clinics you could go to. Man, they've been trying everything you can imagine in the first century world. They ain't going to have a baby. And Elizabeth is depressed and discouraged because of that. Zechariah, it's his one big chance. He goes into the holy place. He ministers with the lamp, makes sure the lamps are burning, representing the light of Yahweh among the people of Israel, reminding us that we've learned that the Messiah is going to be the ultimate light. He's taking care of the showbread, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel. It's going to remind us that there's going to come a great Messiah who will be the bread of life. Zechariah is going into that holy place. The only time in his life he could do it. He's doing what Levitical priests did. It's his time to do it. Suddenly the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, you're going to have a baby. And he goes, that can't be. He said, yeah, it's going to be. And he said, I don't believe it. He said, no, you're going to have a baby. In fact, he's so full of doubt that the Lord won't let him say a word about it. Make them totally dumb. Can't speak. Come out. Everybody knows something incredible has happened that he took a long time in there. But Elizabeth gets pregnant. Incredible story. That's where it begins. And this strange baby is born. He's related to Jesus. He's a little bit older than Jesus. They live in different parts of the Holy Land. But this strange prophetic man, this man grew up away from Jesus, but he went down into the wilderness, close to Qumran, where they discovered this Isaiah scroll. And it looks like the desert, looks like the backside of the moon. 
And this strange man starts calling out, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And it creates an incredible people movement. I mean, people are coming from Judea. They're coming down 2,000 feet down the steep ravine. There's robbers on that path, but so many people are coming. It's relatively safe. And thousands and thousands of people are coming. And John the Baptist is baptizing people. You talk about a people movement. Man, people are coming from all over. The, and the Jewish leaders send people down and says, are you... Are you the Messiah? And John could have said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. He's got what every American longs to have. He's got a people movement. He can fill stadiums. He could fill Texas Stadium. He could fill Philadelphia Stadium. Man, this guy really has it. But look at the text. He says, there came a man sent from God. There came a man. Look what it says. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. And he came for a witness that he might bear witness to the light. One of the things that I want you to really get a hold of this Christmas, one of the reasons why I believe that Jesus is the light because of this man named John. His very name means Yahweh is gracious. And one of the reasons I believe is because of the witness. It says that this man, there came a man sent from God, his name was John. So I have to decide, do I believe the credibility of this witness? And all of you make those judgments all the time. In a courtroom, if you're a lawyer, you bring witnesses on the stand and you listen to their testimony. At the presidential debate, the Republican debate, those of you that watch the debate, you're watching people and you are making judgments. Do I believe they're telling the truth? Do I believe they have competency? Do I believe that I can count on them? That's what you're going to do the next several months. Some of you conclude, oh, they're all just a bunch of liars. What you're saying, well, I don't just believe they're witness. So this morning, I want you to, to think about John. John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John because John the Apostle wrote this book. He doesn't have to tell you this is John the Baptist because you know it's the other John. How many believe he was sent from God? I think he was sent from God. You say, Dave, why do you think he was sent from God? Because he wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was like Elijah in the Old Testament. And Elijah in the Old Testament was this weird prophet that stood against the idolatry of the Jewish people under that were all worshiping the Baal, the Baals, and the Asherah. They're all worshiping sexuality. They're all worshiping these stupid little idols. And Elijah in the Old Testament, dressed in rugged clothes, not a city guy, Not a guy that's making money off the Israelites like all of the false priests. He just starts saying, you gotta, you gotta turn away from your idolatry. And John the Baptist fulfilled what Malachi said, there will come Elijah. There's gonna come a prophet like Elijah. And suddenly we have, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this guy dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, starts crying out that the people need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many of you have ever had an unbeliever saying, I'm not going to ever follow Christ because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? All of you have heard that. So this Christmas, when your relatives tell you that, that haven't believed in Jesus, you want to not resist that. You want to say, hey, that's awesome that you said that. Because you know that one of the greatest witnesses to Jesus hated hypocrites. Your unbelieving relatives will say, what are you talking about? Yeah. In fact, all the religious guys came down from Jerusalem and they said, hey, we want to get into your movement. And and this preacher that really testified to Jesus said, you're a brood of snakes. Who 
called you to repentance. You need to bring forth some reality. That's against hypocrisy. That's one of the reasons why I believe in the great John the Baptist. Because he was totally the opposite of a politician. There's not a political bone in his body. He is not trying to please the masses. This guy does everything wrong and he ends up getting his head cut off because he's against adultery and he'll stand against political leaders. I know this is a man of God. How about you? He's a credible witness. So I want you to really think about it. I want this to give you certainty this morning. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. What did he do? He witnessed to the word. You see, he was like a great proclaimer. He went out like in all the ancient world when a great king was going to come. The great king doesn't show up incognito. The great king would have one of his heralds go through the streets of Rome, go through the streets of Caesarea, go through the streets of Jerusalem. Hey, the king is coming. The king is coming. John the Baptist was born to say the king is coming. The king is coming. He heralded the Messiah. He witnessed to the Messiah. And John, in the next few verses, is going to tell us he's going to start out the ministry of Jesus with John the Baptist baptizing in this large people movement. And he's going to have Jesus come to this man sent from God. And John's going to point at him and say, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was a witness. Now, how did he witness? He witnessed to the light. Notice what it says in the verse. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came. This is his purpose to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And then he tells us something very important. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. So this morning, I want you to think, do you believe in the credibility of John the Baptist's witness? And I want you to be thinking about that during this Christmas holiday. Second of all, I want you to realize that John the Baptist is not the light. And one of the ways you can know whether you're really hearing the truth from anybody is when you really hear the truth, the light will never be on the one that's speaking. The light will always be on Jesus. So whenever you're hearing somebody teach you or singing to you or seeking to mobilize you spiritually, if the light is on them, it's not right. Like in your own life, your purpose in your life is to tell people you're not the light. A lot of you have unbelieving friends that say, you know, I'll never follow Christ. I mean, I work with you every day. I work with you at the fire department. I work with the police station. And, man, I've seen you. You cuss, man. When something goes wrong in your work and, and your computer just suddenly crashes, I hear you come out with a cuss word. And you need to say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, and I want you to forgive me, but I just want you to know something. I'm not the light. I'm just a sinner like you. Doesn't that free you up? You're not the light. I'm not the light. I'm not the light. Like, I'm not the darkness, and I'm not the light. Like, I can't make this church family prosper. I can't make it grow. I can't make lives change. Do you know that? There's no leader that you can get that can do that. And what I want us to get really burdened about is we're not the light. John the Baptist knew he was not the light. And you know what? John the Baptist could have said, I am the light. Thousands of thousands of people were coming to John the Baptist. He was older than Jesus. 
Yahweh, the great I am, began powerfully moving through John the Baptist first. And John the Baptist could have said, I'm the answer. But he didn't. That John came out with statements like this. When his disciples came to him and said, John, do you realize, man, we used to have the people movement. We used to have things really growing. We used to have tons of people here. Now they're all following this man, Jesus, your younger relative. He's from Galilee. How can you ever say that? He's not even a priestly family kid. And John the Baptist said, at a wedding, the best man puts all the focus on the bridegroom, not on himself. He must increase but I must decrease. John realized he was a witness. And one of the things he communicated, I'm not the light. Boy, that's an incredible relief to realize we're not the light. God's work doesn't depend upon us. You're not going to reach your relatives because you're the light. But you've got this incredible light because we're not the light, but we can witness to the light. Jesus, that's what we're learning in this text. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the source of life. In the next few weeks, Jesus can bring life into your life. Jesus can bring light into your family. Jesus can use you in incredible ways because he really is the light. Carol Thomas lost Jeannie, his younger sister. So when he does Jeannie's funeral, I broke out with a coughing spell. I had to run out in the foyer because at a funeral when you're coughing like crazy, everybody's going looking at you like that. So I go out and I'm watching Carol on the big screen and he's talking about Jeannie. He's talking about Jeannie riding a motorcycle once and she ran into a curb and crashed and came back, you know, wheeling the motorcycle with the handlebars all messed up and said, I'll never ride a motorcycle again. And then she, and she was a person of conviction. She never did, but she was, had a hot foot. All of her friends, all of her boyfriends in high school wanted her to drive their dragsters because she had the quickest foot. And Carol had the whole audience laughing. And then, and I'm watching this on the big screen in the foyer. And all of a sudden I hear, Dave, Dave Wurtson, are you here? So I'm running out of the foyer, running the back door. I said, yes, I'm here. He said, I just wanted you to make sure you're here, Dave, because when you started our church, one day I came in late like you just did. And then Carol said this. I came in late, and I don't have any idea what Dave was saying, but David said, is anybody in this audience just as righteous as Jesus? I want to ask you. Is anybody in this audience just as righteous as Jesus Christ? And Carol said there was about 30 people there, probably less. They all looked around, and some people are going like this. And Man, Carol sat there, never batting an eye. In fact, he almost stood up. I said, Carol. I looked at her. I said, Carol, what are you doing? You mean to tell me that you are just as righteous as Jesus Christ? How could you ever say that, Carol? And I'll never forget it. Carol looked at me because I did remember. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then Carol said, My sister Jeannie, just like me at a revival, trusted the light, trusted the life, trusted Jesus who died on the cross and who rose again. And my sister today 
is just as righteous as Jesus. And she's safe in the arms of her great shepherd. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. He was a witness. That's why he said, I'm not the light. I'm just a witness to the light. Not the light, a witness to the light. Why? So that all men might believe. Brothers and sisters, the next few weeks are some of the most precious opportunities you can have. At work, you're going to go to parties. And even at their parties, they're going to have background music. And they're going to be playing, have yourself a Merry Christmas. But you're going to find out a lot of times they'll play your Christmas carols. With your families, you can take some time. Turn off the TV a little bit. Go ahead and watch Charlie Brown's Christmas. That's a great one. But turn it off a little bit and say, hey, let's just sing a little bit. Some of you that play the piano or play the guitar or just sing a cappella, sing those songs. And then you can say, hey, do you mind if we just read from the book of Luke or the book of Matthew the reason for this day? Can you do that? Is that hard to do? Can you do that? I want you to really pray, Lord, help me do that. Some of you are going to go, and you're going to go with family that don't know Jesus. How many of you have relatives that don't know Jesus, and you know you're going to be with them? Okay. How many of you are going to have a great big meal with them? Before you have the meal, this is going to take courage, but it's really not that hard. And I have very few unbelievers that will say no. I go to a lot of meals where people just start eating. Everyone just going to start eating. And Mary's really good at me. She never lets me do that, hardly. So wait a minute, we need to, we need to stop. So you, all you do, your little ones are already digging in, you just say, hey, would you all mind if I just prayed and thanked Jesus for this meal? And as you pray, really connect with God, really talk to God, talk to Jesus. And you really make sure that they know, hey, I'm connected with the light. My friend Martin Hawkins, he's lost a brother, he's got an older brother now, that is soon going to go home to glory. He has another brother that he hasn't seen in 30 years. And Martin is one of my friends. I've heard him say the last several months, Martin is on a quest. i got to find my brother. He has people looking for his brother. Martin's on a quest. He said, I buried my older brother, and as I looked at my family gathering, I realized that not every one of my family is right with Jesus. I'm not sure that every one of my family knows the light. I'm not sure that every one of them have come to know the life, that have had Jesus create life inside of them. So Martin's quest is to make sure that he never goes to a family reunion again without trying to take time to make sure every single person in his family knows who Jesus is, knows that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he is the source of light and life, and to really explain to them how they can know Jesus. How many will say this morning, the next few weeks, at work, in my school, and in my family, I'm going to be asking the Holy Spirit to help me to bring this light and this life into people's life. Will you do that? Will you do that? You say, well, Dave, why should I do that? Because he really does change lives.